Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Judges, chapter 6, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Israel spent 40 years in peace and rest from the oppressor. And the cycle continues. The people fall into sin. The Lord once again gives them into the hands of their enemy. And this time, you want to note this, this time they fall into the hands and under the domination of the ruthless, barbaric, and brutal Midianites. And the Lord raised up another judge. His name is Gideon. Check this out. In Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, if you're there, say amen. And then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Now, stop right there. Give me your attention. This is an awful way to start a chapter. Chapter 6, verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So God, listen close, so God in his grace and God in his love allows them to be oppressed by the enemy. God in his grace, God in his love allows them to be oppressed? Now, wait a minute, Roddy. Now, I don't know about love and grace and God allowing them to be oppressed. Oh, yeah. It is God's love and it is God's grace that God would send the oppressor to oppress his people, to correct his people, to spank his people. Or they're going to get a whooping. You know, when you were a kid, it's like, ooh, you're going to get it now. <laughs> you know, ooh, you're getting a whooping. Oh, they're going to get a whooping. And it's God in his grace and God in his love that gives them a spanking gives them a whoop. It's no different than your own kids. People read this and go, man, how can God do this to them? Well, think about your own kids. When they get out of control, what do you do? You apply the board of correction to the seat of knowledge. Right? You engage them in the wooden spoon ministry. Because we all want to serve. And what do you do? You tear that little bottom up. Why? Because you love them. And then, of course, here's the fun part. You say this. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Oh, I love that line, don't you? And they go, well, if it's going to hurt me more than it hurts you, then why don't you just whoop yourself? (laughs) Okay. You know, but but you, you do that. Why? Because you love them. Because you know that if they continue down that path of sin or continue to engage in the cycle of sin, that it will be 
detrimental to them. That they are learning things and learning patterns and learning behaviors that is going to hurt them in the long run. And so you love your children by correcting your children. And the Bible says that if you do not give your child or provide for them the board of correction to the seed of knowledge, you don't love your children. As a matter of fact, you hate them. Now, don't misunderstand me. I know this is not politically correct. I know. Okay, fine. It's not politically correct, but it is Bible. And I don't know about you, but I am more interested to be Bible, biblically based in everything that I do, including raising my children, that I am in being politically correct. Saints say, man, I don't care about politically correct. I don't. I want to do what God says. I want to love God with all my heart. I want to do what the Lord says and be obedient as a servant of the Lord in every aspect of my life. That's what I strive to do. And in this area of correction, that's another one. That I want to do because I know that God knows best. I know that God is God and he knows best. God created us and he knows what we need to keep us on the straight and narrow. God knows. And the Bible is very clear. It's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. It says this, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. You see that? You see, if you are born again Christian, God won't allow you to sin successfully. No, don't misunderstand me. You can sin. Now, I'm not giving you license to sin. I'm just saying it's possible for you to sin. But you won't be successful. You can't be. Because as you're sinning, God is correcting you. And if you allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in your life, that correction will lead you and guide you and you'll repent and turn from that sin. You cannot sin successfully if you are born again Christian with the Holy Spirit living in your heart. You can't. You see, and God didn't allow his people to sin successfully. And so he uses an oppressor to chasten Israel, to give them a whooping. And this instrument or this tool or this oppressor that God used to spank Israel are the Midianites. Seven years of oppression. Now, who are the Midianites? Let me just tell you who they are really, really quick. You want to write this stuff down here. Who are the Midianites? Number one, the Midianites are descendants of Abraham. Isn't that interesting? Now, most people think that Abraham had two sons. One from Hagar, Ishmael, and the other from Sarah, Isaac. And some people think that that's all the kids that Abraham had. But Abraham had many more kids. Genesis 23 verses 1 and 2 tell us that Sarah, Abraham's wife, died at the age of 127. And by the way, side note, fact, when the Bible tells us that Sarah died at the age of 127, it is the only time in the Bible that a woman's age is given. See, ladies don't like their age. Now, my wife is a little different. She don't really mind. You don't mind that, sweetie. But a lot of some people, they, women are like, don't tell my age. I don't want anybody to know my age. And so the Bible is very clear. Sarah, she died at the age of 127 years old. And, and the Bible makes it clear that Sarah was beautiful when she was 80. 
She was beautiful. She died at 127. That means that Abraham was 137 at the time of Sarah's death. Abraham died when he was 175. Man, that's talking about living long. He died when he was 175. So after Sarah died, Abraham, stay with me, lived for another 38 years. And during that time, he married a lady by the name of Keturah. And I mean, think, think about it. He got married at 138 and had more kids. I mean, Abraham is like 138 years old and he's having kids and married another woman and starting a new life, red Corvette, gold chains. I mean, <laughs> Abraham. Married another woman. I mean, I, I don't know. He had six more sons, actually. And so his wife's name is Keturah. And one of the six sons was, guess who? Midian. Right. And when the boys grew up, the six boys grew up, Abraham gave them luggage, gave them a present, and sent them on their way. And the Bible says in Genesis 25 that he sent them east. And Midian and the other boys became enemies of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so throughout the Old Testament, we see the sons of Midian are constantly attacking Israel. And for the next seven years, God is going to allow it. Check this out in verse 2. And the hand of Midian, in verse 2, prevailed against Israel because the Midianites, because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves Den. See, these guys were brutal, barbaric, and the children of Israel were afraid, and so they made for themselves dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. They fled to the mountains, and so it was whenever Israel had sown wheat, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents coming in as numerous as a locust. They would descend on the Israelites, both they and their camels, which was like the tanks in those days. Actually, this is the first mention of the use of camels in the Bible as a instrument of war and a, you know, a tool of riding in camels. Interesting. So they descended on the people of God as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels and, and were without number and they would enter the land to destroy it. And so Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel and they were so fearful. They were hiding in the cave. So here's the picture. Whenever Israel would plant their crops and it was time for harvest at just the right time, these Midianites would come into the camp, sweep in on their camels, kill the animals, ravage the land, take the food, burn the plants and leave Israel with nothing. It'd be almost like if you worked all week or all month and your boss was 
handing you your paycheck. And right as he was handing you your paycheck, someone swept through and just took the check. Which actually does happen, doesn't it? <laughs> It happens to me every two weeks. I mean, <laughs> right? Happens to you too, fellas. But it's kind of like that. I mean, it just kind of leaves you frustrated, and um, and 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 so and and that's what it's kind of like. They just took everything from them, and it was the Amalekites that joined forces with the Midianites to come against Israel. Now, the Amalekites. Who are they? They are descendants of Esau. Interesting. When you go to Israel, when we take our trip to Israel, as we're riding down the main roads, you're going to see to your right and to your left, probably as we're heading into Samaria, or we'll actually visit Gideon Springs. We'll talk about that next week where we'll visit. But you'll see on the right or the left on one of the main roads, you'll see um, these Bedouin communities. And it's pretty interesting because they've got these really large tents and very, very poor um, community, but it's pretty amazing because although they have the tents and very poor, they have satellite dishes out front. Um, it's kind of anticlimactic. I mean, I kind of, I don't think of, you know, Jesus and satellite television, but, but, but it's true. I mean, they have satellite TV, and, and that's pretty much all they own in terms of technologically but you'll see that these tents are there and, and these women are walking around and you always see the men who are sitting at the tent and they're kind of pontificating about the religious, you know, village matters and drinking Turkish, Turkish coffee. And these women are, I mean, they, they're doing everything. I mean, these, these women are... Um, you know, feeding the goats and getting the milk and putting up the tents and they're cooking and they're cleaning and they're doing everything there. And these Amalekites and the Bedouin people are descendants of Esau. Very interesting. And the Midianites joined the Amalekites to fight against Israel and notice the people of God were hiding out in their caves. Notice in verse 11. Notice in verse, uh, verse 7 actually. Verse 7. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet, a no-name prophet, to the children of Israel who said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I bought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage and I, notice how many times I is used, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you. Now remember this is a no-name prophet. But notice how this no-name prophet is taking um, responsibility and claiming that he is the one who delivered them out of Egypt. Which tells us what? This no-name prophet has to be God. Interesting. So I, he says, I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of, of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorite in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Therein lies the problem. Verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the tabernacle tree, which was in Oprah. See, y'all didn't know Oprah Winfrey was in the Bible, did you? It's right there. I'm not making it up. Right? 
sat under the timber tree, which is in Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why then has all this happened to us? Doesn't that sound like us? Wah, wah, wah. The Lord is with you. Oh, well, then why am I suffering so bad? Oh, God, my life is terrible. I can't get my bigger house or my nicer car. And where are all his miracles if God is with us, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. You see, Gideon asked a question. God doesn't answer. But he said, go in this might of yours. And you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not have I not sent you? And so he said to him, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Here's how you're gonna do it. Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Now Remember, I told you, stop right there. Look at me. Give me your attention. Remember, I told you in the past, when you see in the Bible, in the Old Testament, an angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, this is known as what? A Christophany. A Christophany is an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Now, keep in mind, as I said, everyone is full of fear, afraid of the Midianites, you never know when they're going to strike again and the people are hiding in the caves and Gideon is hiding in the wine press threshing wheat, which is a problem. And so God appears to Gideon in a rather embarrassing situation. Now, if you know anything about the wine press, this is very important for you to understand. If you know anything about the wine press, you know that the wine press was at the foot of the hill because in that culture at that time, they had these really large grapes. Remember, the two spies came back with a report. There's these huge grapes in the land, remember? So they had these huge grapes. It took two guys to carry one big vine of grapes. And so the wine press was at the foot of the hill. It made sense as you go downhill, it's easier to carry something heavy downhill than it is to carry it uphill. So the wine press is at the foot of the hill where they would stomp out the grapes between their toes and stuff, and they would get the wine. The threshing floor was located at the top of the hill. So you could catch the breeze or the wind to blow away the chaff, and the wheat would fall on the ground. And they would take this wheat, and they would make all kinds of wheat bread and wheat thins and cream of wheat and all kinds of wheat stuff. They would take the wheat and they would gather it up in these, in these bushels and they would take it and grind the wheat and then they would take the bushel and just throw it up in the air and the breeze and the wind would separate the chaff from the wheat, which is what the Lord's going to do in that day. Right now, he says, just tarry. Everybody just tarry together. Everybody stay calm because in that day, I'm going to do the separating. 
So the threshing floor is at the top of the hill. The wine press is a great place for grapes, but it's a terrible place to thresh wheat because in the wine press at the bottom of the hill, there's no air, there's no wind. It's bad to thresh wheat at the bottom of the hill. And so what we have here, here's the scene. Gideon was in the wine press. He would throw the wheat in the air. The grain and the chaff would come back down and it would get in his clothes and it was itchy and it was sticky and he was in bad working conditions. And he's trying to do his best with very little results, all the while thinking, man, I'm a coward because he's hiding from the Midianites. You understand? He's hiding from the Midianites. And the people are in the caves hiding from the Midianites. And everybody's fearful. And he's working hard for little results. And he's probably thinking, man, I'm a coward. I'm a wimp. I'm afraid to go to the hilltop. And it was at that moment, in this moment, the angel of the Lord shows up and he says, hey, you mighty man of valor. Gideon's probably looking around thinking, is anybody else here? I mean... You can't be talking to me. Hello, do you see what situation I am in here? Man of valor, who? Me? Yeah, you, Gideon. See, it would seem that Gideon is the furthest thing from a mighty man of valor. It'd be like saying to Britney Spears or little Kim, Hey, you paragon of modesty. You'd be like, ah, I don't think so. You see? And Gideon's thinking, I'm not a mighty man of valor. And yet the Lord says, yes, you are. You're a mighty man of valor. Why? Why? Because God, listen at this, God doesn't see us in our present problems. He sees us as a finished product. Amen, saints? I don't know about you, but I'm glad about that. God sees the potential in us, the potential to be used for the kingdom of God. God sees something in us that we don't see in ourselves. God obviously saw in Gideon something that he did not see in himself, something that other people didn't even see in him. You see, we see and other people saw fear in Gideon. God saw a force. The world saw a crowd and God saw a champion. The world saw weakness and God saw a warrior. The world saw poverty and God saw power. Someone once said, God can make us what we cannot make ourselves. That's why God can say, you, Gideon, are a mighty man of valor. That's why God can say, you Christians are my people and powerful people because God sees in you what you do not see in yourself. I could not see in myself what God is currently doing in my life right now. I couldn't see that. I couldn't understand why God would call me to be a pastor. I couldn't see that. But God could see that. God knows. See, God's able to see that things that we can't see in ourselves. And that's why he says, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. Gideon thought he was a loser. God said, you're a leader. You see? 
God sees what we cannot see. Notice in verse 13 in your text, God begins, to, Gideon begins to argue with the Lord. And he says, you know, I know you think I'm a mighty man of valor and all that, but where were you when these guys were ravaging our land? And where was all those miracles that I heard about? And then notice, and I love this, God doesn't even answer his question. I like that about God. You know, some questions are just stupid. Say amen if you know that. Um, some folks, they just ask stupid questions. So don't get me on that. That's a whole other sermon. David, that's another sermon, man. <laughs> some people are just stupid. And, and God knows. See, God, God is God. And God knows. God, I'm not going to even answer that. That's not even important. Notice what he does say in response to Gideon's question. Notice what God says in verse 14. Go in this might of yours and you will save Israel. And Gideon continued to argue with God. And he says, God, how can this happen? We're the smallest family and I'm the weakest in the family. And I can hear God saying, I know, I know that, Gideon, that's why I want to use you. Exactly. Oh, we're so, we're so small as family and we're smallest of the clan and I'm the weakest. I never work out. And I'm, you know, I'm, you know I'm, I'm the weakest in the clan and they all beat up on me and, you know. And God says, yeah, that's why I want to use you. And that's why the verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. You see, God's economy is not like ours. We would choose the strong things of the world to put to shame the strong people. God says, no, I'm going to use the weak things of the world to put to shame the strong people. You see, the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. I had a doctor in my office yesterday, and he was telling me this very thing. He just became a Christian. It was such a blessing. And he was telling me, he said, I used to walk in my office and I used to think that I was the doctor. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.